Welcome to the 221st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Rachel Harper, the author of This Side of Providence. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Rachel Harper, author of the new novel, This Side of Providence. Harper's first novel, Brass Ankle Blues, was chosen as one of Border's best original voices and selected as a target breakout book. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate you having me. Great. Well, can you read two or three pages from your new novel, This Side of Providence? Yeah, I'd love to. I will read the first chapter, which is from the mother's point of view, um, and her name is Arcelia. Before they knock down the door, I run. I'm wearing flip-flops, men's pajama bottoms, and a tank top with no bra, my sunglasses on the top of my head. I grab my baby and tuck her under my arm like a purse. She's one of the few things I own, and unlike everything else in my possession, I never lost or broke her. I hear them enter the apartment. The front door cracks, their voices boom, but I'm gone before they catch me. Out the back window and down the alley before I know where I'm running to. Doctors always say I'm too skinny, but you'll never catch me with my hips stuck in no window, even them small ones they put in basements. And I can still outrun almost any man, even in sandals and with a baby in my arm and a dope habit that keeps me shooting almost 10 bags a day. My baby's three now, not a baby anymore. And if I put her down, she could run alongside me. But I hold her instead to keep her close to my body and to remind myself that I still have something to hold on to. Besides, what kind of mother lets a little girl run from the police? I don't know a lot of things, but I know that ain't right. Me, I'm always running. So quick, my feet don't seem to touch the ground. I hear the sound, though, the slap of my sandals on the pavement as I run down Manton Avenue in the rain. It sounds loud and quick like a machine gun. I am not a gun, but sometimes I feel like a bullet. Fast, unstoppable, deadly. I used to think I could un outrun a bullet. When I was a child and I still believed in things I couldn't see, like the truth, love, and forgiveness. Today I believe in only the things I can feel, hunger, pain, my beating heart. I don't remember most of my childhood. I got a few memories from when my mother was alive, but not as many as I should. Only a few are clear. The rest are faint and jumbled, like the lines of a long and complicated joke that ends without a punchline, or that never ends. I see flashes all the time, real quick like a movie preview. They jump into my head and jump out quick as they came. I try to control them, but I can't. They're not mine. They come so often, they don't belong to me. It's like I'm watching TV without the sound, like I'm remembering somebody else's life. There's a kid in most of them, me, I guess, but I don't recognize her. I try not to look her in the eyes. There's a man with her, or sometimes a boy, but he is always someone she knows. He looks kind, but he is not kind. Sometimes he smiles at the girl, but she never smiles back. She is always trying to escape or looking for a place to hide. When the rain stops and darkness comes, I'm still running. My baby girl is asleep in my arms, her breath a whisper on my neck. The high gone, she's now too much to carry. My arms and legs burn. I cut through the parking lot behind Atlantic Mills, hoping to lose the cops before my legs give out. I've been running my whole life, either two people or away from them, and I don't really know where to go anymore. All the streets look the same, and I wonder if I'm lost. 
Not sure it matters as long as I keep moving. All roads got to end somewhere. I run up an alleyway where two men are working under the hood of an old Buick. The car looks familiar, but they don't. My legs continue to move purely on instinct. I hear music from inside the car, the radio playing a Spanish song about a bird that follows a balloon all the way to the sun. The old man whistles the tune, and the younger one sings so softly I can't even tell if he knows the words. They don't stop to look up as I sprint past them, as if I'm so fast they can't see me, as if I'm invisible. All right, I'll, I'll stop there. That's the end of the first chapter. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about this side of Providence yet, how would you describe your new novel? Um, I would say that this is a family story. Um, it's about a family struggling together after the uh, struggling to stay together after the mother gets arrested for drugs. So that's that's the plot. Um, but it's really about addiction and motherhood and what happens when the two overlap. Um, the initial question that I asked myself before writing the novel was, can an addict be a good mother? And um, it, it was a question that sort of kept resonating in my mind. And as I started to try to answer it, I I heard the, the story kind of evolving through all the different characters. In other words, from the mother herself, from the children, from one of the children's teachers, you know, from people in the community. And so that's how it kind of developed that I realized I want to tell this story, but I don't want to just tell the mother's story. I don't want to just tell it from one point of view. I want to tell what happens as the larger story, like what happens to the whole family. And so that's when I decided to do it in the multiple narrators and and using those multiple voices. And to me, that's really um, an important part of the book is that it is, um, I've heard people refer to it as a kaleidoscope. You know, I'm, I'm really trying to circle around this situation and this problem um, from everybody's point of view and tell, you know, a, a broader story. But definitely at the heart, it's, it's a story of a family. Gotcha. So how did you decide on the setting for the novel of Providence, Rhode Island? Um, you know, the setting came as part of the story. I, I grew up in Providence um, and I had left and then moved back there. And when I came back in my 20s, I was working in social services. um, And I was working in a different part of town than I had lived in. Um, And so, you know, I'd gone to school and grown up on one side of town. And now I was on the other side of town, sort of like, quote unquote, the other side of the tracks. And I was very influenced by living in the neighborhood and the people and the voices that I heard. And I, I didn't feel like I saw those stories represented in a lot of the literary fiction that I was reading and that I had been taught. And I definitely felt like it was a compelling story. Um, you know, some of the folks that I worked with, I actually ran a needle exchange for several years and um, worked with at-risk teenagers and homeless and runaways. And, you know, I, I just sort of saw life from, like I said, the other side of Providence. And I definitely, you know, felt inspired by the history of Providence. You know, Providence is, is, the capital city of the smallest state in our country. And it's one of the oldest, you know, I mean, it's hundreds of years old and it has, if, if you either haven't heard of it or you, you think of it as something, you know, like colonial and something ancient. Um, and you think of the good colleges that are there and, you know, that kind of thing. And I wanted to show a different side, you know, folks that I felt like were um, sort of on the fringe and forgotten about and not in history books and not talked about, um, and so, you know, I really was telling the story of, of a community that I knew well and a place that, um, where I lived and, and had seen and had been there, you know, long enough to see it change 
and I wanted to sort of capture some of that uh, some of that change in the city. Sure. I know that you said that you were working in social services. Were you also uh, writing at the time? I was, yes. Um, I was actually working on my first novel at the time, and which you know is not has nothing to do with Providence. It's, it's set mostly in rural Minnesota, where I spent my summers um, with my mom. grew up on a farm in Minnesota, and I realized then that like I would probably write about what was going on at the time, but I I knew I couldn't. I needed more separation from it, so I would occasionally take notes. Um, and kind of impressions of things. And when I talked to different people, I would, you know, write down snippets of dialogue and just things that I had seen, and I just put it in a notebook and put it away. And uh, I realized very early that I tend to be one of those writers who can't write about something while it's happening, you know, especially when I'm thinking of a novel form. I need a bit of distance, um, not only distance of time, but actually geography. And so, you know, when I was living in Providence, I wrote this book about Minnesota. Um, you know, then I took all those impressions. I, I moved back to California to write this book about Providence. Um, and so I seem to kind of need that kind of distance, um, like a psychic distance and, and just time and space. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's, you know, I, I was definitely writing on the side for all those years, but not this novel. Right. Right. So was, was there a moment when, when you, uh, made the decision to switch from social services to, to pursuing writing as a career or, or what was that evolution for you? Um, I mean, I definitely just felt I had to have a day job, you know, mm-hmm. just because of, um, you know, how I was raised and, and, uh, you know, I just, I needed to pay the rent. And so sure. <laughs> I was working and I, and I cared a lot about that work. You know, I definitely felt early on like, Oh, you know, as a writer, it's like, I'm going to have to do something else. Um, and I wanted to be inspired too, you know, I, I didn't want to just sit around um, and just write about myself and, you know, my childhood, my whole life. And so as I was experiencing these different things, I was like, I need, I need more stories, you know, and, and that to me was really important because it, it helped open me up to writing beyond just my story, quote unquote, you know, my first novel is semi-autobiographical. And um, I think for some people that's, that's typical, you know, your first novel ends up being um, your own story or, or parts of your story and, and your childhood. And it, and it was for me, and that was great because I needed to feel comfortable about the subject matter and things that I had lived. And I used, you know, a first person um, narration of a young girl that was very similar to me in terms of temperament and experience. And so I felt like I could access it. But after I'd done that, I wanted to branch out more and I wanted to tell other people's stories. And I, I knew I needed to live a life, you know, I needed to know people and know of experiences beyond myself. Um, so I was actually happy to work um, on other things, especially since I, I knew that, you know, in, in telling, in sort of like being involved in other communities and other people's stories, I could really um, get outside of my head and get outside of like, quote unquote, you know, my life and my experience and open it up and, and tell and talk about, you know, things that have happened to other people, but hopefully with a sense of authenticity um, in terms of the voice and the characters. Sure. And, and uh, you know, I, I definitely um, wanted to be a full-time writer the whole time. It was, it was <laughs> an aspiration. You know, I wanted to be published, but I just had to work right around my schedule. You know, I wrote late at night. I wrote in the mornings. You know, I just sort of figured out how to do it on the side and really feel like I was committing to it. You know, everybody 
that I worked with knew I was writing, but it was kind of like this cute thing. They just would see me. And at the time, you know, I had these notebooks. I was always like jotting things down and, and, and even clients and people would be like, girl, what are you writing in that notebook? You know, what are you always writing? You know, and they would laugh about it. And I would talk to them. I would say, you know, I'm not a journalist, you know, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not writing a report on you, but, but I'm, I'm a writer, you know, and I, I want to be able to, you know, sort of, I don't want to miss anything. So when I heard snippets of stories and things, I wanted to kind of jot it down. And, and I have to say, I was very, um, got a lot of support, you know, the people that I worked with, um, they were encouraging, you know, and they let me take some time off of some different jobs when I got into um, residencies and artist colonies. And that was, you know, so important to, to that beginning time in my career of ha- having solid time to, to write outside of, you know, the nine to five job. Sure. Sure. Well, well, uh, I know you've written for the screen. What, what, uh, how different was that for you to, to do um, as opposed to writing um, a novel or short stories? Um, you know, I found the process quite different, uh, but, but equally sort of engaging and interesting. And I think there's, you know, several sides of my personality and, and when I want to, um, you know, be, be the total boss and go in and sort of do whatever that, that's, you know, write a novel, write a short story. And when you want to collaborate, you know, to work on a play or um, a script is, is a natural form of collaboration because so many people are involved in, in the process, you know, from original idea all the way to, you know, putting it up or, or filming it, of course. And I felt like I liked that. I liked having both sides um, there are the times and the stories that I want to tell where I want to be able to just go into a room by myself for hours and explore a certain world. And then there's times when I wanted to get feedback and I wanted to kind of have more conversations about things and, and share with people. So I, I was able to enjoy both processes, um, but they are quite different. You know, it's like you, you feel you can slow things down so much in fiction and really open up. You know, in, in paragraphs, you know, you sort of open up the scene and, and sort of look around and, and try to remember every detail, you know, sensory observations. And, you know, what what does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? You know, what do they say? It's like all these different elements of how to how to paint the picture. And and in, in scripts, it's the opposite where you're just like, what is the one thing I want to lead with? You know, I want to, the dialogue, you know, what are these images? And um, it's it's very clean and neat and you're sort of, pulling everything away that's unnecessary. Um, and the interesting thing I have to say after doing both for, for a while now is that I've learned something about my fiction writing and my prose, I think, has, has changed a bit through writing some of the scripts because, um, you know, it, it definitely forces you to think about what's the point, like what's the point of this scene. And I know, you know, I, I like the sound of words. I like language and, you know, I sort of like the rhythm of it. And sometimes I can just get carried away and so it sounds so pretty and I'm writing, you know, line after line. And then I'm like, but wait a minute, like, what is the whole point of this scene? Like I've gotten totally off track and, you know, writing about the flowers is not, is not moving the plot forward and, and working in scripts has actually helped me with that because it's just, it forces you to focus. It forces you to think about what the objective of the scene is and what needs to happen. And it sort of helps you with pacing of the narrative. And it, it's interesting because when I go back to to uh, fiction after that, I'm much more aware of, you know, moving the story along and, 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 and how to, you know, mess with time. Sometimes I, I manipulate time in stories where I'm going backwards and forwards and, um, you know, big jumps between characters and some situations. And it sort of inspired me to do that more in my fiction. 
Um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm using multiple narrators in, in uh, this side of Providence, which is similar to how, you know, you're cutting between scenes and sort of jumping across town and a lot of things that we would see in, in TV or movies. And, and, you know, we just keep going with it as a viewer. We're used to it. We, we have a certain sophistication. And I think I'm noticing as a reader more and more books where people don't just tell a straight linear narrative. You know, they move around in time, they move between characters and voices. And I, I like that as a reader. And I certainly, um, you know, like that as a, as a writer because it, it gives you more freedom. It gives you more um, opportunities. And, and I, I hope I've, you know, done it well. I mean, I certainly was committed to, to telling um, a fuller story, um, one that, you know, I felt like could reflect what I'd actually seen. And um, it, it, it made it interesting to me. I actually also adapted um, this, this book into a, a TV pilot. So I actually only had to take the first two chapters and, and make that like the, the opening episode of, of what the show would be. And it was fascinating because I had to move some of the things that happened later in the book up into the first episode, because everybody says, you know, when you're writing a TV show, you have to start in that first episode with kind of all the main conflicts, all the main characters, so we know what the series is going to be about. And in doing that, I had to invent a few new scenes that um, either don't exist in the book or wouldn't take place right at the beginning. And I actually learned something about my characters, even though when I was doing it, I had already written um, and completed the, the novel. It, it, it was like I was forced to look at the bigger story. And in doing that, um, I, I really found out a few things about the characters. So I always talk, tell my students that it's amazing that going between genres, um, even with the same material, you know, with the same story, same subject matter, you can learn something and kind of force yourself to be, to be creative or to imagine something in a, in a different setting. And I found that really powerful. You know, I, I think sometimes people have a snobbery with scripts versus um, prose, you know, and people sort of think, oh, you know, you're selling out if, if you start writing for film or TV after writing novels. And I don't feel that way at all. Um, and in fact, you know, I, I felt like I actually learned something um, about my own craft, about my process in writing. And like I said, about my actual characters by putting them in, in different situations and by being forced to think about scenes and, and how the plot is unfolding in a different way and not just relying so much on the voice, um, you know, the narrative voice that you have in fiction, but on actually like the images, you know, and the visual storytelling. And I found it really inspiring and, and exciting. So I'm always one to suggest um, that people work in, in different mediums and, and not feel limited to, you know, only what you've had experience in or only, you know, what you might feel comfortable in right now, because you never know um, what you could learn about yourself as a writer or, about your actual stories by, by putting them in, in different, in different mediums. That's great. Well, what advice would you have for aspiring writers who might be listening and are interested in writing their own novels or short stories? I mean, my, my first advice is to just like get it done by um, sitting down, you know, daily if you can, uh, but at least several times a week and getting into your stories. I know for me, when I did have full-time jobs, uh, you know, it had nothing to do with writing and also being a parent, it was very hard to find that time. And so what I started to do is wake up early. I always felt like if I woke up first, you know, that I'm ahead of the game. And when you get up at five in the morning, nobody's looking for you. You know, whereas if you wake up because your kid is like, you know, sitting on your face in bed, then you're already behind the game. And so I really felt like, when I started to set my alarm at 5 a.m. and get up 
and go into my world of, you know, my fictional world every day, first thing, um, it, it felt like I was really committing to myself and my passion first. And then you don't have the excuse of running out of time um, or, you know, being too busy or being distracted. And I also, um, you know, I, I created that time as like a sacred time. So I didn't, you know, I didn't get my phone. I didn't look at texts or emails. Um, I didn't read the newspaper. Like I just really would get up and go right into the work and giving yourself that commitment every day um, and getting, getting kind of into the, this fictional world that you've created. It's kind of like a dream, you know, it's like you've dreamed this thing and the more time you spend in it, the more real it becomes to you. And only when it's real to you, can you convey it to others, you know, to, to your readers as being equally real and authentic. So for me, that was a big difference. You know, when I was younger, I used to write just when I had inspiration, quote unquote. And, and in order to kind of make it become more of a job, I needed a practice around that. And I needed to um, feel like, hey, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if I feel good. It doesn't matter if I feel particularly moved. I need to just, um, you know, get up and get into it. And if you show up every day like that, it's amazing. It's like, your brain becomes like a muscle. It'd be like getting up to exercise every day, you know, and at first you're sore and you dread it. But then when you get in the rhythm of doing it, it becomes more and more natural. And it's actually something you look forward to. And, and I would notice that it's almost like my mind had saved all the impressions throughout the previous day. And when I would sit down, all of a sudden they would all come right there. You know, it's like, it's like they were waiting for me and they sort of started to, to understand, Oh, okay, this is what she's doing now. And so, um, all those little bits of inspiration that I might have, you know, sat down at midnight when I was at 20 and I could stay up, you know, until the sun rose. Um, now I would save them throughout the day and not even think about it. It's like my subconscious was doing that kind of work for me. And then when I would, you know, get up at five and, and open the notebook or open the computer, it would all sort of come tumbling out of me. And um, I, I felt like that was a big change in, in me and my my sort of my process and really solidifying this sense of like, Oh, I can, I can do this. And, you know, if I keep showing up for it, you know, and keep writing a couple pages every day, you know, next thing you know, you have 300 pages. And, and, um, at the beginning, that's what I needed. I didn't know that I could write such a long story. You know, I didn't know that I could sustain a single narrative, you know, after only having written, you know, 15 page, you know, short stories or something prior to writing my first novel. And I needed the, the encouragement and the confidence that came from just being able to amass that many pages, you know, and then um, obviously, you know, spending other time later going back and, and revising and rewriting, rewriting. But I, I really think at the beginning, just to give yourself the time um, to get into the story, you know, repeatedly day after day, is really the thing that me the most. Great. Um, I'm curious when you sit down to write, are there ever days that you need to do something to jumpstart the process or, if you follow what you're saying that it's usually, you know, easy for you to kind of get into that dream state. No, it's not always easy. You know, I definitely, I think I would force myself to do it and there are times when it's harder and I would say, um, you know, some of the tricks I use, which, you know, I think are fairly common. I, I would reread, you know, what I did the day before. And a lot of times that would help me get into it. Um, and I've also always been the type of person who's been inspired by other forms of art. So whether it's listening to music, whether it's um, reading poetry, a lot of times helps me um, getting into different voices. Um, you know, sometimes just looking at art 
you know, looking at, um, at paintings or photographs, you know, especially if I'm trying to access uh, a world or characters that are different from myself um, in, any, in any significant way, then I always find like going into another art form, it ends up sort of opening my imagination in a certain way, like if I'm writing from a male point of view or, you know, an older person or a younger person, you know, when I start to look at different images, I mean, I had a whole series where I would just look at these still photographs from <clears throat> years ago, like from the fifties and sixties and um, a lot of black and white images and something about it, just sort of the stark beauty of these images and seeing people and trying to imagine a different time um, it, it helped me. I wasn't even writing a period piece. You know, that would make even more sense uh, if you were doing something like that. But for some reason, it just, it helped me see these different people and these different lives and really sort of and start to imagine, like, after the photograph was taken, what now? You know, where do they go now? What was their life like? And that helped me in my scenes. Just think about, you know, here I am writing scenes about, um, you know, that I have to invent. Like, what next? You know, what's happening? What's happening now? What's the next thing I want to know about? You know, what what am I curious about? And that asking those questions ends up um, motivating me. And I would say questions are another thing that sometimes, you know, you have a lot of pressure as a writer because you feel like you're answering the questions. And that's what your book is about. It's all these answers you have to give and these like things you need to know. And if I feel like I don't know, then I would be like, well, what are the questions? What what do I want to know? And sometimes I would write just that, you know, questions about what should come next, questions that the characters are, are thinking of each other. You know, why did she do this? Why you know, why does he want that? And and some days I might just write those questions and and not even necessarily have the answers right away, or the answers might not even become part of the actual text of, of the the story. But something happens in the asking. And then I feel like my subconscious starts to work on that. And then it ends up showing up in some other thing that I write, you know, later. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I never really answered that question. But I ended up writing this whole scene that in, in one way is perhaps an answer to that, you know, unasked question um, that isn't in the story, but that I had asked myself on one of those tougher days when it wasn't just flowing out of me. Sure. So are there, are, are there books and authors that inspire you in your own writing journey? Oh, definitely. I mean, like most writers, I was a serious reader as a kid, you know, and um, I think everything from classics to, you know, books I read as a kid. I mean, as a kid, I read um, the, you know, Little House on the Prairie series that I loved. And I also read the Great Brain series by John Fitzgerald, um, which was, you know, took place like 100 years ago in, in Utah. It had nothing to do with my life, but I was so inspired as a kid by those things <laughs> all the way up through you know, Faulkner, I mean, um, James Baldwin are, you know, two big, those are two of my, like, my favorite writers um, in terms of just voice and structure. And um, and I don't write a lot of short stories, but I love the short story writer Andre DeBuse. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's just fantastic. And um, in a lot of his short stories, I, they read as if they're novels. I mean, right. it's like he packs in a life. And so for my stories, but also for novels, you know, I... I, I look to him a lot of times and I'll read just one of his short stories um, in exactly one of those moments you were just asking about where I felt stuck. And um, I just feel inspired by what he's manages to pack into, you know, 10 or 15 pages. So, and I'm, and I'm always reading. I mean, I, I try to read contemporary 
folks too, you know, like in the last year, I read a couple novels that came out that I really liked. Um, Lauren Groff of Fates and Furies is a novel I really enjoyed this year. And um, Girl Through Glass by Sari Wilson. I just saw a read at uh, AWP. It was great. And I also read a lot of poetry. You know, I think I was raised by a poet. My father was a poet. And um, because of that, I think I always sort of veer over into poetry and um, there's a, a poetry collection that came out last year by Ada Limon called Bright Dead Things that I just love and I think is gorgeous. Um, and I also read a memoir by a poet, Elizabeth Alexander, I read last year that I loved um, called The Light of the World, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I read everything. I mean, I read a lot of fiction, um, but when I'm writing fiction, I don't often read a novel while I'm currently writing. So, because I don't want my voice to be affected by that one, but I end up, you know, I'll read biography then of, you know, a writer or an artist, or I'll, you know, I'll read the poetry then, or, um, you know, I'll read plays, you know, so I, I definitely am always reading something, but um, I do notice that when I'm actively like writing that first draft of a novel, I won't usually, I'll put away novels for that time. Um, that's something that, that I've noticed about my own my own reading and writing process. Gotcha. So are you working on another novel now? I am. I actually, um, I finished the first draft um, like a year ago, and then I got back into like a big sort of, you know, front to back um, revision. And I'm now, I'd say like on the, in the third draft. And I feel like it's, it's pretty, it's really coming together. I mean, it feels close to being done. um, But, and it's exciting. You know, I, I wanted to be working on the next thing before getting into the publishing realm of, of the first one. So because it can be it can be distracting and I didn't want there to be like a lull. You know, so this past year, I've definitely had to do a lot of you know last minute things, getting this side of Providence together and having conversations with my publishers about the cover and, you know, last minute edits and and all that stuff. But I kept doing that and then going back to, to my manuscript and in the manuscript form, it's also beautiful and perfect. If you haven't gotten, you know, you haven't sort of had to face the real world with it yet. And so I actually, unlike some people maybe who kind of want to just be done, I've really begun to like the process. And I like the, that freedom when I'm still creating it. And I feel like, you know, I haven't done anything wrong. Nobody's criticized it yet. Um, and it's still sort of evolving and it, can, and it feels like it can be anything. Um, and so I, I'm in a good place with it now. And um, I'm eager to get back to it. You know, I've been doing some publicity stuff for, for this side of Providence. So I've, I've taken some time off these last weeks and I miss it. You know, the characters become kind of like family to me. It's kind of like, you know, going to see my cousin um, in Minnesota when I haven't seen him for a while. I, I, I miss them and I want to kind of get back in the room with them and, and catch up with them and hear their stories. So I'm, I'm definitely eager to get back to it. Great. Well, we've been speaking with Rachel Harper, author of the new novel, This Side of Providence. The novel is available in bookstores now, so go buy a copy. And Rachel, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really had fun. Great. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.